0: two experiences of insight. On today's episode, we have with us Ross Chapman, head of design sprints at Edge. Ross started as a video editor following his formal training at the Southampton Institute in media with cultural studies, cinematography, and film and video production. He then spent some time honing his skills in post-production, new media, and ITF-connected pictures. In 2008, Ross started to freelance as a UX designer and in 2012 moved back to London to continue to develop his skills as a lead user experience designer. For the next five years, Ross would move between the United Kingdom and Germany, working with organizations such as Ericsson, Career Foundry, and Wiggle. In 2017, Ross joined Etch as a product design lead, And in October 2018, launched Etch Sprints and is currently helping product managers, CEOs, CTOs, team leaders and marketers focus on learning what to work on. Professionally Ross can be found designing products, facilitating design sprints or training teams to do this themselves. Etch is a design sprint agency based in London, the United Kingdom. Etch is committed to creating the best products on the market with the best teams around the world. The larger Edge Group is a collection of people, agencies, and partners that exist to redefine how traditional consultancies operate. Without further ado, we bring you Ross. Hi, Ross. Hey, how
1: are you doing? Great. How are things in London today? London is getting into spring. It is uh, starting to look a bit brighter. We're starting to get yes kind of answers from where where we want to go and what we want to do. And uh, I think people are waking up to doing some really purposeful work uh, around this time. So yeah, really, really good to be in London and uh, really happy to talk to you two today. Speaking of, let me just, extend on that last point. So speaking of
2: purposeful work, you have an international trip coming up, is that right?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm doing a little bit of a a tour. So next week I'm going to Zagreb in Croatia to run a two-day kind of intensive design sprint bootcamp. And uh, after that, I'm going to Los Angeles and States to do a few meetups. It's kind of a holiday, uh, but I always like to keep and purposeful and to reach out to people that I can learn from. So I'm hoping to meet a few people out there. And, uh, and the, the many conversations that I have with people, I always get something new out of it. So uh, yeah, doing a bit of a tour and then it starts to settle down after April.
2: All right, um, so let me ask you, uh, what is it like running sprints in different cities? What do you have to take into account How do you put together a sprint team? What makes, what changes do you have to make to make them successful?
1: So at Edge Sprints, we either run sprints within our our place in London. We've got a really nice uh, space in Clerkenwell, which is kind of the quieter side of London, where we've got a sprint room and event space downstairs. And we also run them at team's offices as well, because First of all, they're there. And second of all, it just makes things a whole lot simpler when people turn up right on the dot when you want to start solving problems. So we've either been at businesses in London or further afield. And what I find is that we, we started this journey quite quite a few years ago. But what I find is that to a point, you have to dictate who the team is. So we would start a few weeks beforehand and say, if we're starting to solve this problem, then we need people from this side of the business as well as yourselves and the decider, who's normally the person who kicks this whole journey off. But on early sprints, I found that We were just working with the same team that works together every day and they weren't being bold enough. They weren't kind of looking at riskier options or trying new things. And I think when you get a good cross-section from a business, then you start getting some really tangible, bold ideas that you can test with people within a week.
0: So, Ross, I had a question for you around the current state of things in the UK, you mentioned that you were going to Zagreb and uh, I'm very interested commercially, um, if you could shed some light on Brexit, maybe potentially what that what that does to your business model going forward or uh, have you been thinking about that? Or, you know, to somebody like yourself that is the head of design sprints at Etch, you know, what does that mean commercially going forward? And how are you gonna work around, um, you know, what's been, Uh, laid forward for you by the government?
1: Yes, Uh, the answer is yes, no. Uh, So (laughs) what, what we found is that the companies that we work with are in a time of uncertainty. So they don't know where to invest. They are kind of holding fire until they figure out what all this mess really, really means. And for running sprints, it's actually an opportunity for us. So we have a great way of getting to something tangible that's tested uh, with real people in the space of a few days, which is so much easier to kind of sell into teams because it is that time defined amount of effort. It's also exploratory. So if you had a new business model or you weren't (laughs) sure what to do, then a design sprint is a great case for that. And actually, a few months ago, we did our first kind of Brexit sprint, where they the the team wanted to work out a strategy to deal with the uncertainty, and they the kind of outcomes from that were a, a way of working uh, more responsive to ever changing uh, needs, and actually it made them put rocket boosters on their whole process of, of working and getting to deliver value to their customers. So uh, I, I, I see any kind of sign of doubt or problem as a point of opportunity. And if anything, I just continue running sprints, continue selling them and continue iterating on what I think I need to learn to make a better sprints and a better case for
0: yeah and then hopefully um you know maybe leveraging some of the tools and work around remote sprints might um provide a solution to some of the immediate uh, issues that would be confronting you for where you need to physically be or do business or uh maybe some of the tariffs that would impact some of the revenue you would bring in as a as a firm commercially
1: um. yeah totally i mean we we do run remote design sprints and they they run slightly differently and there are synchronous and asynchronous activities that I described in a, a latest kind of medium article and what the advantage there is, and you know, it's the advantage with remote and, you know, you two would attest to this is that you often are working with the best people, uh, rather than the people that are on your doorstep. So, as a kind of future long-term strategy, remote is a really good idea. And what we want to do is start developing value and innovation without any barriers to entry. Because the sprint, as kind of written about, uh, is supposed to be used for any team. So, if you're a distributed team or you're working with a set of people the other side of the world then the sprint should work for that. So we, we kind of have taken it on ourselves to work out what that looks like. And, uh, we've started running those with teams.
2: Thank you. So Let me ask you, there's been quite a few YouTube videos on growth sprints and growth hacking. What are are your feelings on that?
1: Growth is obviously a great area for businesses to look at. I mean, instead of doing a website redesign or doing some of the low-impact pieces of work, growth really gives you the right activities to bring the business forward. So uh, design sprints can be used for growth. And that's really one of the success kind of metrics that we look for. It's not just delivering a prototype and people looking at it and going, yeah, that's great. Or I have problems with this, move on. A good design sprint has a success criteria. You know, it has that long-term goal of what we want to achieve in two years' time. And more often than not, that is growth in some area or not. And uh, whether it's less reliance on our customer call center and more reliance on a more responsive uh, remote way of working, or any number of kind of methods. I think that a design sprint is designed for solving problems, and one of those problems can be poor growth, uh, or it can be a failing product or a failing feature, and that that's that's one of the kind of valid use cases for the sprint.
2: What would you say? What would you say is the long term goal for Ross Chapman?
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. I. I a great question. I've always wanted to be relevant so I, I want to do the best work of my life with the best people and for, for me to keep relevant I keep on learning and certainly one of the videos I want to make is <laughs> to show people how to use Google because it is all out there. You know at any point where you want to learn something new There's probably a YouTube video or an article written about it. So I just want to be a a lifelong learner. I want to experiment. And really, that means getting used to failure as well. So I I try all number of experiments. Uh, One of the cases is sometimes we run public events where we bring people in and we show them a kind of introduction to the design sprint. That roughly breaks even. Uh, so it's not a grower for us, but it is a good way to kind of illustrate it in a, a kind of low expenditure way. I, I think there's still more improvements to make. And really there, what, what I find useful in what I get to do is that Etch as a group has kind of let me run with design sprints. You know, I, I asked uh, the the management team in October, I kind of just like doing this. I think it has great value. It gives people a way of working and they don't have to figure that one out. They just need to fill it with their problem. So, uh, from, from the kind of trust of the group, I'm able to be autonomous. I'm able to try new things. And if anything, it's, it's kind of celebrated within the group rather than in some situations in my past at other companies, they kind of just want you to do your job that they've dictated a long time ago. And if you look at my CV, I have stayed in companies for a year and a bit because I just, it kind of wears me down and I, I want to try something new. So Etch Group kind of gives me that and, uh, you know, so far uh, I, I, I haven't made too many critical mistakes. <laughs>
0: I, I had a question going back to some of your, um, some of your early experiences. And I w- was wondering if you could share that with us. And you mentioned that you try to be learning things, experimenting. Um, you're not afraid to fail. Has that something that's always been kind of in your background, your DNA, if you will? Did you learn that? Are your parents like-minded? Um, was there some um, experience that you had in your life that kind of, or maybe a book that you read or a person that you talked with or a mentor that you had that really encouraged that, that influenced you to think that way. Um, I'm, I'm interested to hear um, the personal side of that of how you came to that point. It's, um, you know, as I mentioned, we uh, want to share your experiences and I was wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about that as well.
1: Yeah, totally. So I I think, and and by the way, I'm not afraid of failure. I mean, failure still hurts, but I just, get over it a bit more than i used to uh i i think i think really my my attitude to to work and to do the best work in my life has come from just life experience going through roles and i i think at a point i i worked out that i was seeing a lot of benefits and a lot of results from actually pushing a certain way that hadn't been done before so even within you know uh roles where i was the senior ux designer or something you'd get given a a project or a challenge and no one really tells you how to solve it so you start trying new activities you start experimenting with card sorting and by the way i'm not a uh you know, trained to a certain level of designer, I'm totally self-taught. You know, I I grew up with the internet, uh, started playing about with Microsoft front page and designed my first website and all the way through kind of learning video production and, and the work that I did, what I found was I was spending my spare time playing with the internet and designing things and it took many many years i think i've only really worked out what my purpose is in the last couple of years that i found that i was spending my free time doing that and uh, over the, the, the kind of uh, length of a few roles i was able to transition to this self-taught thing called design um that i, I still kind of wear loosely. I, it's, it's hard to describe yourself a designer when you've no formal training. But I, I was just able to build up the confidence, had a few reps of, of doing a few projects. And when you discover that you're, you're venturing into new territory or you're trying something new and the internet is ever-changing, that really you just need the confidence to go ahead and do it. And it's not too hard to change tact. Uh It's not the printing press. Uh, it can quickly be remedied if there's a problem. And ultimately with uh, testing with real people, they give you the answers. So you don't have to be this consultant that knows absolutely everything to the nth degree in 2019. You just need to be an enabler to get teams to do that and you just give the framework and and the safety to 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 do that. So I I think I've I've been supported by uh, a few mentors in my past and at etch I have a whole heap of people to help me do what I need to do and you know sometimes push me out of my comfort zone where I need it. And you know that that's that's a huge kind of sticking point for me uh, is to to have people that really boost you give you positive vibes and uh, just say, yeah, go for it. Show us, show us what, what you're talking about. Show us, you know, and it's okay to fail, but put your hands up when you fail and, uh, and, and we'll move past it. So yeah, I, I think after a number of years, I mean, I'm mid thirties now, I think you develop a thick skin or I certainly did. And you've just had a, a number of reps to say, hey, it's safe to go off-piste uh, or it's safe to, to try something new.
2: So Dave and I would like to make you uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, go uh, for that.
2: So uh, what's the next stretch goal for you, getting outside your zone of comfort?
1: So at the moment, so Etch Sprints is a team of one, this guy. So I think the, the next natural stage is once we've got uh, a good uh, kind of structure and and basis i want to grow the team and it's it's been a kind of challenge to work out who can help me on this journey and provide this service to to teams and train people that we get in contact with and i guess that's that's the next kind of area that, that i need to invest in i need to invest time and energy into people. So I've done it a few times in, in my career. I've, I've been able to lead teams and kind of keep them uh, engaged, uh, answer all their questions and remedy their doubts and, and treat them as, as people like they are. I think I care about this team more than any team I've ever cared about. So really, I, I think that's probably the next wave of Ross, now you're going into uncharted territory. It's not just about dealing with the demands of delivering uh, value to customers. You now have to focus on the team around you too.
2: Okay, I want to ask one other hard-hitting question.
1: Yeah, yeah, keep, keep them coming. <laughs> right,
2: get ready. Brace yourself. What's it like to jog with Jake now?
1: So Jake is a really good runner. I, I thought I was jogging and I think he, he was, he was, you know, training for the next big, uh, sprint. (laughs) Uh, I, yeah, it it was great. It was kind of a a chance that we, we did it. He wakes up really early in the morning and goes for a regular run and he had a event all day that I wasn't going to, uh, but I, I said, let's do something together. I think he suggested a run and then I became the kind of tour guide and we, we started in old streets and then moved down to the Thames river and then kind of, I, I showed him where the uh, big Ben was and some of the kind of bridges and, uh, kind of gave him a good old tour, um, to, to help him start his day fresh. So, uh, yeah, he, he's got stamina. Like I, I was keeping up and, um, but it was, yeah, it was really good and, It's it's quite funny when you have a chat with someone and you're running and you're slightly ahead of them or behind them. So you kind of have to listen to the answers. But yeah, we talked about all manner of things. Uh, I think we talked about uh, how we, we used to, I don't know if Jake did, but I used to like watching James Bond films. And then we talked about how James Bond really isn't a very good role model right now. Uh, no. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we were kind of shy of saying that, you know, it, it was it was a, a good series to, to dip into. Uh, so that, that was one of the conversations, but it was very early. So uh, that's probably all I remember from it.
0: <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned that. I was talking to somebody, uh, a few people last night, um, and they were, somebody brought up the example of Elon Musk. And another person in the group that we were talking about, probably for similar reasons that James Bond is not a good role model in this day and age, the concept of the one person, you know, show doing it all um, and taking in shouldering all this burden and everything is just not a good example in this day and age. Or uh, that was one of the points of one of the people that we were talking about. But I, I too, I am a huge James Bond fan. Uh, I grew up in the time of Roger Moore myself. So uh, yeah. uh, yeah, I love it.
1: It's kind of like when you watch it now in today's context, it does feel a bit uncomfortable. Uh, <laughs> I I think my favorite for a while was uh, Timothy Dalton. And, you know, I, I, I love that kind of secret agent thing. And, you know, I, I, I wouldn't mind doing that. And now it just seems like he's this huge womanizing kind of cad that goes from country to country fooling everyone. And uh I, I do question his morals. Yeah.
0: I I have a question for you. Um, you know, one of the things that I mentioned uh to you previously on a couple of occasions that really stuck out and really hit a thread for me and, and definitely was appealing to me and, and drew me to you and your message and your content. It was that video that you posted after the sprint conference in October out in San Francisco. Hmm. Around Around how you were going to go all in, and you had—it seemed like it had been after you had done some soul searching. Um, You know, it seemed like, uh, and you mentioned that uh, you know you've you've walked through your experience and you've done different things, and you want to be in a constant state of learning. You know, how how frequently are you iterating uh, with you know what what makes Ross happy, and where does Ross want to be, and. Is there anything you could share with the audience out there and the listeners? Um, any suggestions? I know you mentioned that you want to be continually learning as well as experimenting. Anything you would like to impart or any lessons learned that you'd like to share with people out there?
1: Yeah, sure. And and thank you for being one of the few people that probably watched that video. I I've been kind of flirting with YouTube for many years and because of my past as a video editor and videographer, I just find YouTube the hardest thing to get into. Like I'm forcing myself now to do it and acknowledging that the first five videos are going to be just not good, but to everyone else they'll be fine. Uh, so thank you for that. I, I, I'm not an energizer bunny. Like I'm not on it 24 seven. The weekends is the kind of anti Ross, like, the the person that gets up in the morning goes to work uh, makes things happen on Saturday and Sunday you you wouldn't recognise me I'm I'm pretty much moping about in slippers uh, on a Sunday afternoon I'll make a pear and chocolate crumble for my family and light a fire and go out for kind of bike rides with my children and you know it's it's not you know twenty four seven I'm not hustling like Gary Vee says that I should be all the time. I'm probably pretty lazy. But what I am doing is, you know, my, my mind's always whirring because I don't have this work-life balance. It, it, to me, it's just just one thing. So when I have a free moment, I am thinking about work because it's it's something that, that I really enjoy. I love doing what I do. And I I keep on thinking of ideas, I make a note of them, uh, and, and no, no way is it perfect. I mean, my my backlog of items on Trello is just, mm-hmm. it goes to infinity, uh, mm-hmm. at least it seems to. But I, I'm really comfortable with where I am. I think, I think people around me uh, in etch would say I, I often make myself vulnerable by trying new things, but I'm getting comfortable with that. So whenever something feels like it's amazing, and then a few weeks later, something more amazing comes up, uh, most of that is just through asking for help or uh, getting someone to um, help you with an idea or, you know, sending that email to uh, someone and getting a a positive reply. So I, I don't think there's any secret. I just... Feel that I'm comfortable with what I'm doing. I've discovered what makes me happy. Yes, there are hard days, and you know, some 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 things really get me down. Like uh, household DIY, like it is it is the the total bugbear of my life. When my fence falls down in a storm, or you know that gate that keeps on sticking, I I can't I can't get my head around it. Whereas at when I'm working with teams and they're butting their heads against the wall, I know what to pull out of the bag. And I know that we probably need to rest or um, do a warm up exercise or something. So yeah, I I think I'm, what's nice is I'm doing the things that I also enjoy. So there's no kind of grating that I look forward to Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays and Fridays. Uh, And you know, I don't live for the weekend or kind of crack open a a bottle at the end of every working day. That's that's just not me.
2: Emotionally in touch, having having uh, emotional IQ is really important. Is that basically what you're saying to optimize teams and get the most out of them?
1: I I think I I just I know myself. I know that some people come to work, and my my thesis on this is that people start a job, they get taught by their colleagues or their line managers, and where do they get taught from their line managers and their colleagues and so no one really questions why they're doing something a certain way, and some people don't know what comes after them in the chain or before them in the chain, and that's What I love about these kind of light bulb moments within the work that I do with Teams is that when you do get that cross-section together and you do explain how we solve problems through customer services or this is how we make money. And part of my whole deal is I try and use basic language because people use jargon as a kind of safety blanket, it shows other people that they're experts and they know what they're talking about because they've used you know special terms that make them look self-important i like to bring it all the way down and try and use language that anyone can understand and i i hope that starts breaking down some barriers uh, within teams that are just a bit lost they're doing what they're told they're not enjoying it and that's that's really where my value is i don't want to be a motivational coach i just want to help people do the best work of their lives
0: i know we're getting close to our time with you uh, our dedicated time with you um and i wanted to uh ask a question and i don't know if lee would have a follow-up question but i wanted to uh find out from you um i lee both lee and i have kids as well and uh some semblance of a family life and i think Offline, we joke about how uh, near and dear uh, that is and how important that is to who we are and how we conduct ourselves on a day-to-day basis. How do you manage it when you have to travel uh, for extended periods of time with your family? Is it all down to the good support network or uh, is there some other, do you have a super partner on the other end helping you through this? Or what is the key for the Ross Chapman household when you're you're on the road? (laughs)
1: Well, it's 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 certainly not the Ross Chapman household. It is it is a a family that uh, probably know each other enough to know what's working. So I rely a lot on the support of uh, Steph, my wife. She is just amazing and knows that the the work that I do and the things that I do are always towards my motivations but also when when there's a happy ross there's a happy rest of family you know i we've we've been together for a number of years we've got children that are kind of 10 and 8 years old and we're we're just very in tune with each other and and what's working so we we do get help uh with children pickups from school uh because this is the stupid thing. School finishes at 3.30. Everyone else finishes work at 5.30 or 6. Yeah. Why Why did someone design it like that? That That's not compatible with 2019, both parents working, uh, which we do. We both work. So we, we have uh, someone to help with that. And then I actually don't go out in the evenings and socialize. I don't have a huge friend network or kind of drinks after work or anything. Uh, So maybe that helps. (laughs) But when I do have an activity, maybe it's a meet up or, you know, a lot of my activities are work related because that's what I enjoy. Uh, We we just have this kind of uh, system where, you know, we tell each other in advance. Uh, we, we make affordances to do it. So if I know I'm away for like Google SprintCon last year, I'll ensure that there's enough money in an envelope for a few takeaway pizzas and anything like that, just to make each other's lives just a bit easier. Uh, because you know, ha- having a family, having a household, ensuring that everyone is, is kind of having a good time but also they're doing what they need to do. For me, that's fulfillment through the work that I do. Uh, And Steph is kind of a prolific writer. She loves writing books. So in the evenings and weekends, she likes to be left to uh, write a new chapter or put together a synopsis. And that's what I know from her that she enjoys. So I think we're just very aware of what each of us kind of enjoy and we might make time for that. But we also have together time, uh, most uh, meals we have together, and we, we just kind of chat and just keep in the loop.
2: My last question, and then I'll turn over to you, Dave. Um, so how do you manage your attention on social media? There's so much going on. How do you pick a method or a way to decide on what you're focusing on and then kind of attach to that? Is, um, how can people find you?
1: Yeah, so the, the my relationship with social media is is hard to describe. So I, I, I started using all the channels, didn't really have a plan, didn't have a strategy. My idea is to start using it so you can understand it. So I, I do that with pretty much everything. I just start using it. I figure out what my approach to it is. And I go off that. When you read a book like Make Time by John and Jake, it tells you that distractions are bad, and rightly so, distractions do cut into your focused work. So there are no buzzes or notifications that pop up, everything is off. My home screen is completely blank. And really, I've designed my attention for my phone. Uh, I'm not and and it's not perfect yet it's still the first thing I reach for in the morning Uh, just to knock off a few kind of updates and emails and stuff at at 6.30 but I think it's something that I opt into rather than something that's um, commanding my attention and something that's asking for more time for myself so I have to use it because I'm running a, a division I am promoting what we do by just documenting and sharing. Uh, So Instagram gets a lot of attention from me uh, and then Twitter and Facebook. And Instagram, actually, I started using stories a number of months ago for me to practice before I started YouTube, (laughs) but I'm still in the moment of practicing, I guess. So yeah, there's, there's no perfect, uh, kind of way that I work with it. I just try and line things up. I use tools like Buffer to schedule a few things. And what I have found since I started a few months ago is that now I'm starting to get replies and messages. So for anyone starting out, I would say start now and you may start seeing uh, kind of rewards in a few months or years but also don't expect it. Just keep on sharing. I, I just assume it's something that I have to do as someone in 2019 right now. Uh, so I, I just carry on with that that idea.
0: Well, Ross Chapman, I really thank you for taking the time again to speak with us. Um, I wish you, I think we both wish you safe travels in the coming weeks and um, you know, from the experiences of inside Team, we would like to say if there's anything we could do for you in the future to help get your message out there, um, please let us know how we could help you at the Edge Team. Um, it's been really nice and inspiring as always to hear from you. And hopefully some people will also be inspired by your confidence, your high uh, EQ, um, and some of the lessons learned that you talked about uh, with us today.
1: Um, hey, so No worries. Thank you. And, and thank you for kind of inviting me on. And one thing I'd leave with is that sometimes people put a barrier in front of themselves to reach out. I can be reached on pretty much every uh, social media out there on LinkedIn messages, uh, on email, wherever. So don't don't worry about making the leap. Go and ask someone for help. And, uh, you know, just just keep on keeping on. Thank you. No worries. Thanks.
0: On behalf of the experiences of Insight Team, we'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. We hope that it was value added and that you continue to check out our content. Have a nice day.